Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly, where today we're talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 4, Forget Me Not. And I like this episode. It was, I thought, a really good interweaving of mirrored storylines about memories where we explore Adira's Trill symbionts missing memories from the previous hosts as well as the crew's memories missed because they're now beginning to realize that they've missed everything related to their loved ones in 900 years in the past now. And I, I really like this episode. I did too. But two things I thought about while I was editing last week's episode yeah, that I just wanted to bring up quickly. The first one, listening back to the discussion about COVID and hugging, yes, it occurred to me that season four, which begins airing on November 18th, was filmed entirely during COVID. Yes, you're and right. I believe that Discovery was one of the first series to go back into production. And they filmed entirely in Toronto, where protocols were very strict. So We're not going to see any hugging. I'm interested to see if there will be a no- noticeable difference. I mean, 10 or 20 years from now, probably nobody will notice. But knowing now that they filmed during COVID, because I think they started in November 2020. Yeah. I'm wondering if we're going to notice a difference. Well, we'll have to take a look at that and see what we see. Yeah. And the other yeah. thing, which is me, who can't let a coincidence, <laughs> who can't let a coincidence be a coincidence. Now, when we were watching last week's episode, when they said Titan, the planet where Wen came from, I immediately thought of Eureka. And then it occurred to me while I was editing that this guy's name was Wen. In Eureka, Senator Wen, W-E-N, was the person in charge of Eureka's Titan project. I remember that now, yes. And just having them both in the same episode, I said, this can't be a coincidence. But I searched, I mean, I searched everywhere trying to find some connection between Discovery and Eureka. Was Christopher Heyerdahl ever in a Eureka episode? That was my thought, although I would have remembered him immediately. But I went back and I checked that too, because that was my first thought. Uh, He wasn't, not that I can tell. Plus, he's a Canadian actor, so chances are he would have been in there, but he wasn't. I checked the writers, the producers. I checked everything from that episode, and I can't find a connection. But I can't imagine it's a coincidence. Oh, but it might be. I know. They do happen. So thank you for listening to my report of what I did last week. (laughs) My pleasure. My pleasure. (laughs) So this episode starts with Dr. Culber doing a log entry talking about the emotional condition of the crew. And with his voiceover, you see him going through the ship and examining everyone. And everyone's passing their physicals physically. 
but he's got, you know, very strong concerns about their psychological state. So that kind of sets the tone for what's going to happen in this episode. And then the very next thing they do is talk to Adira about her symbiont and how she can't access these memories and how they've scanned her and they can see the symbiont and she has these random flashes of knowledge, but she can't hidden where they were coming from. So they decide to go to Trill to see if the Trill can help her with her Trill symbiont. I loved seeing Trill. I did too. Except that in Deep Space Nine, Jadzia said that the oceans were purple. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. And so I was kind of like, well, where's the purple? (laughs) (laughs) But I was like, well, it's been 900 years. Maybe they've turned blue. Right. Could be. I was willing to let that one go. (laughs) So they use this four drive and we have a scene early on where Saru comes and talks to Stamets about needing some other interface besides him to be able to run the spore drive in light of the fact that there's no dilithium and if somehow they lose the ability to access the spore drive because Stamets becomes incapacitated, they're going to be trapped wherever they are in space, just like everybody else, because of no dilithium. So then Saru says something about Ensign Tilly, and my first thought was, why isn't she a lieutenant now? Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> Is she going to be the Harry Kim of USS Discovery? <laughs> <laughs> that would be terrible. So I just thought, you know, after everything she's done, I mean, she should have gotten a promotion after she played Captain Killy in the right. Mirror Universe. I mean, that was enough right there to get a promotion. Right. She risked her life. Anyway. That was, I sort of talked to myself, why is, why is she still an ensign? This is, <laughs> this is crazy. Anyway. <laughs> At this point, she says to Stamets that she has this idea about trying to use dark matter. And Stamets is more condescending and dismissive than he usually is. I mean, he has a pretty high level of condescension to begin with. But he, like, reached Mount Everest levels of condescension here. Right. But once again, I'm going to say, what happened? They made all this progress last season with him. That's how he started the series. Yes. And then he mellowed out. Apparently, so, it, getting impaled mellowed him back I, down. I guess. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so you're right. Actually, that's a really good point because you mentioned last week that Pilly seems to have reverted back to previous not great behavior. And now we're seeing Stamets having reverted back to previous not great behavior, which suggests or I don't know if it suggests, but it could be that the writers forgot about the growth or they needed to start from somewhere again to get a character arc, which neither one of those is a great sign. Or it could be something else entirely that I don't know about. Yeah, it could be like we said, maybe last episode or two. It could be just their way of dealing with what's happened to them. Yes. but And that's uh, a really good point. It's like we're watching the first season again. Yeah. And Tilly is clearly hurt by this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we're all put off by Stan. His eyes put off by him. But then we move on to Culber coming to see Michael Burnham and suggesting that she accompany Adira to Trill because she understands what it's like to figure out how to live with a new reality. And that's what Adira is going to need to learn how to do once she accesses her memory. She's going to have to figure out how to live with this new reality. And I, I, I'm not sure I was entirely convinced that Michael Burnham was any better than Dr. Culver. Dr. Culver had to figure out how to live with a new reality, too, when he was stuck in, <laughs> in mushroom land. Right. True. So I was sort of like, why is she better than you? But anyway, I was like, OK, well, whatever. And then at that point, during that conversation, he called her a responsibility hoarder, which I thought was kind of funny. Yes. And I can relate to. Yes. And it's absolutely true of her character. It is. It really is. And 
there's a really interesting conversation with Adira where Adira essentially gives Michael permission to join her, which I thought was really cool that she was empowered instead of being ordered because she's not really technically Starfleet, but still Saru could, as captain of the ship could have said, I order Michael Burnham to join you. Right. But instead it made it about Adira's consent. And I really liked that. And as I was listening to it, I was realizing, you know what? Adira is a responsibility hoarder too. So I thought, okay, they're well paired. Yeah. I see that. Yeah. So they go down on the planet and, the, you know, they had already contacted the Trill, and the Trill were very excited to have a symbiote return home to, home to them, and they were just so excited to meet them and wait for them, and when they got to Trill, and the Trill realized that the host to Tall was a human, and moreover, a human who did not have access to Tall's memories, the behemoth got extremely hostile and told him to leave. Right. Which was kind of horrible they said it was because they didn't want to have the contamination of another species hosting their symbionts it was just you know speciesism yeah (laughs) and a little fear i mean and that's something i think that is a a theme that we also see in several of these episodes and that we're going to continue to see is that this catastrophe and also kind of i don't know i'm going to wax here and i may not like it when i get to the end of it inside i don't like it But this catastrophe of the burn is actually kind of in a lot of ways reflective of, say, the COVID, where the whole world, all the population as we know it, as they know it, have experienced this terrible thing. And now they're retreating into their safety enclaves. We see it with Earth, you know, behind its shield. And we see it with the Trill refusing to consider other options for the symbionts. Everybody's retreating into these little enclaves to protect themselves because they're so overwhelmed by this catastrophe that happened true much like in enterprise after the zindi war yes yeah exactly so burnham and adira start to leave and there's three factions in the trill there's the leader who just says this is an abomination there's i didn't understand who the one guy was i didn't either no (laughs) voss i guess was his name anyway i couldn't quite didn't quite understand what his role was in governance but voss wanted to forcibly remove the symbiont from Adira, which would have killed her, which, of course, was completely unacceptable. Right. Leader Pav, she was the leader of the Trill world. She was like, this is an abomination. Just leave. And then there was Guardian Z, who was open to the idea that perhaps this might be a solution. Now, if you remember back in Deep Space Nine, the Trill had way more Trill than they had symbionts. And so they had to come up with this huge process of weeding out potential hosts to be able to match up the very few symbionts with the hosts. And now the reverse is true. Because of the burn, they lost so many of their people. They now have more symbionts than they have hosts. And so he sees this as an opportunity to be able to provide the symbionts with hosts and have more people and the symbionts have that really symbiotic connected experience together. So as Michael and Adira are leaving, Voss tries to take them by force to remove the symbiote. Michael shoots them all. Yes. (laughs) You go, girl. And then Guardian Z shows up and says, I'm going to take you to the caves of Makala, I think they were called, to try to help get those memories back. And so they go off to the caves of Makala. Meanwhile, on Discovery, Dr. Culbers have this conversation with Saru saying, 
the crew's physically fine, but boy, we're in a lot of trouble here. We need to give them a break. We need to help them psychologically recover. We need to bring them together as family. And so Saru starts asking the computer for suggestions. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this suggestion discussion with the computer, the computer gets taken over by the sphere data. Mm-hmm. And the sphere data starts to talk to Saru about try to bring them together, use laughter, try to give them a night off, give them a, a dinner party. And so Saru says, I'm going to give them a dinner party. Right. So again, Saru, going back to season one, maybe, he's not confident in his skills as a captain or as a leader yeah. or how to help his team, reverts to asking the computer for suggestions. Yeah. And that voice... I think we talked about this before. Did we determine that it's control that took over, you know, the discovery in the short treks with Aldous yep. Hodge? Does sound like it, doesn't it? Yeah. And I've been thinking about that short trek and wondering when it's going to happen because the whole, all the crew has disappeared. And wasn't it Book in that? No. No. Okay. It, it was Aldous Hodge. So something happened so that those sphere data is still floating around if yes. we use that short trek as canon. So, yes, absolutely, I think it's the same voice. Well, I haven't watched all of them. I did watch the ones after season one, and most of those became canon in season two. Yeah. So So we know something's going to happen. Yeah, I have to imagine if they threw that one in, it's got to be relevant to what Saru says about the sphere data. Yeah. So anyway, so Saru holds this dinner party for his bridge crew. I love this. Oh, yeah. I, I love the dinner party. I love it. It starts off really nice. He makes a toast. He says, remember what we said when we all agreed to join Michael? And they all said, I said, I, I said, I, I said, I. And you think it's this moment of togetherness and connection. And then somebody makes a funny haiku. I think it's Giorgio. She makes a haiku. It's kind of an odd haiku, but it, it works. And then other people start to try to make haikus. And then Detmer tries to make a haiku. And it's twisted and bizarre about Stamets' blood staining the floor of the sick bay. Right. Do you remember in the first episode when we were talking about her PTSD or if it was PTSD? And I said that I went back because I thought the PTSD started in the last season, but I couldn't remember. And I looked it up to see if her PTSD was caused by Discovery coming into the new timeline and crashing or if something had to happen before. Now, the blood on the carpet, is she talking about when he was impaled last season? I think so. I think so. Yes. Okay. So I think your point is very well taken because if that's where she goes for her haiku, I think you're absolutely correct. That's where the PTSD started. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't added to by them going through time and crashing and all that. But like I said, I couldn't remember. So then when she did her haiku, that's all I could think of. No, I think it's a very good observation. And it makes sense to me. Yeah, it made sense to me too. But things make sense to me and they don't always make sense to anybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Titan wins. Gotta be connected. (laughs) That's going to drive me crazy. (laughs) We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. 
what I loved about the dinner party scene is how it went off the rails and went off the rails really fast because when Detmer said this haiku and, and she's clearly got this trauma trying to get out of her. She's trying to make sense of this trauma. She's trying to process it and put it in a place where she can figure out how to live with it. But the process is really ugly and the whole dinner party just, just disintegrates and everybody leaves. Right. And I loved it because you don't get to see that kind of cathartic behavior with Starfleet officers. No. So I loved it. I remember thinking to myself, oh, thank goodness, there's the catharsis. Everybody's just going boom and expressing all their fear and their anger and their unhappiness. And, you know, Tilly yells at Stamets and Owo is backing up Detmer and everybody, and then everybody leaves. And poor Saru is sitting there going, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably one of my favorite scenes ever in yes. Star Trek because it's so real. It felt real and raw and exactly the kind of stuff that everybody goes through. Yeah. So anyway, then we, of course, go back to Trill. And Adira gets into the fluid, the waters of the cave, and then she vanishes. And there's signs that she is in in trauma. She's in trouble. And so Michael's going to join her. And Voss and Pov show up and there's weapons and, oh, my gosh, you can't go in there. And this is an abomination. And they're like, well, we have to save her. And so they decide, yes, they're going to save her. And so Michael Burnham jumps into the pool, too, and vanishes. They both end up in this place of threads. Yes. Which, of course, threads are very, what am I trying to say here? There's a lot of symbolism with threads. Mm -hmm. Threads make up the tapestry of one's life. And it's like the, the episode tapestry in the original series. Remember, Picard was allowed to go back and change something in his past because Q made it possible for him. And when he pulled on that thread, he said, the tapestry of his life unraveled. So you have the threads in this, this sort of virtual place where Michael and Adira have found themselves, are part of her memory tapestry that are trying to reconnect with her, but she won't let them because she's afraid. So Michael talks her into it, and this is where we see through sort of like a visual representation of her memories how she got the symbiote, what happened, and what caused her to you know lose her memories. And we learn that she was on a generation ship, that her boyfriend Gray was a Trill who received the symbiote when Senatal died, and then Gray was mortally wounded. I think it was it looked like it was a meteorite storm. I is think that, so, yes. Yeah mortally wounded when the ship was damaged in a meteorite storm and the only person available to take the symbiote was Adira. And so that's when Adira became joined. And once she allowed herself to see this very painful memory of this loss, then she was able to access the previous hosts. And it's actually a deeply moving scene. Yes. (laughs) I found myself kind of, my eyes were prickling a little bit because it was just so beautiful, the acceptance of all the previous hosts to tell her everything is all right. You're all right. You're not alone. And it was kind of the same thing that Saru had been looking for in the dinner party that he didn't, did, didn't get, or at least so he thought. Because we go back to Discovery then until he comes back. And she apologizes for walking out. And he said, I didn't go the way I was expecting. And she's like, oh, that's my house on a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, everybody started coming back. And there were apologies, and there was a little bit more honesty. You know, once the raw feelings had been exposed, there was no need to hide them anymore. 
so people were able to start talking to each other again. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why it's such a great catharsis. Everybody got mad. Everybody yelled. Everybody was like, ooh, maybe that wasn't so great and came back. So then on Trill, we have Michael and Adira reemerging in the pool and coming out. And then because she's been accepted by the previous hosts, Adira is able to name all the hosts, which then makes her acceptable to the trail. Yeah. Did you think that happened too fast? I felt like it just happened too fast. Yeah. Oh, okay. You can name all the hosts. Okay. We accept you. After oh. the visceral response to her being a human. Well, you know, historically that seems to be the way <laughs> things are resolved in the show. Yeah. And you're right. It does resolve quickly. But I think it would have been helpful if one of the leaders had said, but she's human. And somebody else said, this is our way, the way for us. Right. We need to consider this and then say, you know, you're right. And it does seem to have worked. And yeah, we, this is worth considering. Just like a couple of lines of dialogue, I think would have made it seem a little less like, oh, okay. Are we almost done with the episode now? Okay, we accept. <laughs> and maybe I'm being a little too negative. <laughs> no, you're not. You're being realistic. You know, people have their beliefs as we know, as much as you want to help them see that their beliefs may be wrong, change doesn't come that quickly. As a rule, yeah. Yes. Or at least without some, you know, I, I kind of imagine it as just sort of like the last vestiges of trying to hang on to your old ideas that slips through your fingers, and then you kind of go, oh, okay. Right. So, I don't know. So, they offered to uh, mentor her on Trill, but she says she thinks that she needs to stay with Discovery. So, they return to Discovery, and the last scenes, we see Detmer going to Culber and saying, yeah, I think I do need to talk. She says, pilots are macho. They don't like to talk. Mm -hmm. So I thought that's kind of a funny line. And we see her apologize to Stamets and they hug, yes. which is interesting because Stamets is not a physical person. You know, you don't see him. He doesn't like touching people. That's the impression I get, you know, except, of course, for Dr. Culver. Right. And so to have him hug somebody, I thought was pretty cool. Definitely. They all go to the shuttle bay and they watch a, a movie. It's a Buster Keaton film, which the Sphere data had suggested to Saru. Giorgio eats a box of popcorn and it all looks really good and happy. And I thought it was a really great ending. And the very last scene, we see something very interesting. I'm looking forward to the explanation of this. But Burnham checks on Adira. Adira said she's doing fine. She's playing the cello, which is what Gray, the previous host, and her boyfriend used to do. And she says the memories are slowly returning. So Michael leaves, feeling confident that Adira is doing well. And then all of a sudden, we see Gray. Yeah. And Gray apparently is physically manifesting. It's not like a memory, but actually there. Right. And he asks her, why didn't you tell her about me? And she says, I'm not sure she'd believe. And they don't really understand why he's manifesting physically. So that's the last scene we see is we're left with a new mystery. Oh, and the other thing I should mention is, is once she got Senatol's memory, she was able to give them the location of the Federation. So we have two things to jump off on on the next episode, which, of course, was the whole reason that they went to find Senatol and the whole reason why they went to Trill to try to get Adira's memories back, the symbiote's memories back, was to find the location of the, uh, the Federation. So we've got two mysteries now that we're going to need to solve coming up. Going to find the Federation, now that we have the coordinates, and why is Gray manifesting for Adira? That was the end of the episode. Dr. Kolber's log, and we've talked about this before, too, makes it pretty clear that Discovery needs a ship's counselor. Yeah, you know, it's funny, because I agree with that, and I keep waiting for some very concrete recommendations from the doctor and never hear any. Right. And there should be concrete recommendations. I mean, therapy, even in our, in our time, comes with concrete recommendations. <laughs> Exactly. But there is, yeah, so I think it's just because they don't really know what to say. And if you make concrete recommendations in a television series like this, then all of a sudden you've got yourself trapped. True. 
But after watching some of Star Trek Day, the live stream, Wilson Cruz did say that Colbert was going to become the ship's counselor in season four. Oh, interesting. All right, great. I don't remember if that comes up during this season, but I mean, that's common knowledge, so it's no spoiler. I actually don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. I mean, we've talked about it since season one (laughs) that they were in dire need of a ship's counselor. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, they're finally going to get one. Just one more thing I wanted to mention before we leave. Our listeners should now be able to listen to our podcast directly from our Facebook page. Woohoo! Facebook is streaming podcasts now. I did notice that. Yeah, eventually. And I'm thinking after this one gets published, there should be a podcast button to listen to current episodes. Now, they do say that they don't pick up any episodes that were published before September 9th. So I don't know... When after this one gets published, the other ones after September 9th will show up too, or if it's just going to go from this one on. But if you want to listen to earlier episodes, just go to Apple. So like I said, I'm not exactly sure how this is going to work, but we'll see when when this one gets published. Awesome. Thank you. So any other last thoughts on Forget Me Not? No, I I really like the episode. I did too. There's a lot of conflict. There was a lot of resolution. Some of it too quickly, as you said. And there was a coincidence that I'm not going to let go. (laughs) (laughs) You hang on to that. I'm with you. You I've got your back. So our next episode is called Die Trying, and that is Season 3, Episode 5. Yes. So we can talk about that um, next time. Okay. So join us next time on Moms Going Boldly for Die Trying. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook, at facebook.com slash moms going boldly and on twitter at moms going boldly the music used on moms going boldly is without limits by ross bugden music on twitter at ross bugden licensed under a creative commons attribution license creativecommons.org you can listen to moms going boldly on podbean spotify google Podcasts, stitcher and player fm And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.